Tom. Hey. Hi, Paul. How you doing? I'm good. I'm excited. Yeah. Don't be too excited. We're reading the meditations. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think I am both excited and somberly. That's right. Yeah. Expecting some wisdom to be imparted upon us. We should probably introduce what we're going to talk about. So we are here to do a podcast where we read Marcus Aurelius's meditations as two guys who know very little about Marcus Aurelius's meditations. That's and, right. And just, we're perfectly qualified for this position. Yeah, we've invented a position that we are appropriate for because there's we both like listening to podcasts and are envious of people who have a lot of expertise or skills that they can flex on a podcast. That's and our right. only trick is to invent a podcast that we are correctly qualified for yes. by being unqualified for it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We're hoping that our lack of context somehow adds to the content of the podcast. Yeah, uh, I, th I think the way that works is if you, listener, have read Marcus Aurelius's meditations already, probably shut this podcast yeah, off Yeah, don't listen to this us. This is for hanging out with two guys, reading something that you can read along with, but that the expectation is you don't know anything about this text, really. And so you can live vicariously through our contextless experience yeah so, there's a million youtube videos that explain this better than we do yeah so if you're looking for true understanding maybe this isn't yeah the right there's place. a guy named michael segru or something who's yes. a historian at princeton we paul sent me a youtube video of him lecturing on the meditations yes he's very is, good which is very good and informative and i think gives a nice big picture introduction to stoicism in the sort of philosophical context and its precedence and the sort of context in which it created yeah. that so many people seem to think is still pretty relevant yeah. today. Tom, what do you know about the text we're gonna we're about to read? Very little. I think Very good. when I before you sent me that YouTube video, if you asked me to tell you everything I knew about Marcus Aurelius, I probably could have told you that he was an emperor of Rome and that he was probably related to Caesar. That would probably be the beginning and end of what I could tell you about Marcus Aurelius. Maybe some vague notion of his military. He did some military stuff, but I couldn't have told you anything more yeah. specific yeah. than that. I know that pretty sure you're one for two on that. I don't think he's related to Caesar. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's the oh, truth. Yeah, so. that's what I would have said about right. him. Yeah, but when yeah. when you say it like that, it's very believable. Okay. Yeah. yeah so I guess copy on listener. Yeah. Everything we say here should be taken with an enormous pound of salt because yeah. we don't know what we're talking about and we're not going to fact check any of nope. it before we, this is just going up. So is it wrong? Yes, it's wrong. Whatever we're saying. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's Fair that's enough. the extent of what I know. When I started listening to this YouTube video thing, mm -hmm. I was reminded of one other thing that sort of lurked in the back of my head about this text, which is I have the sense that Marcus Aurelius and this text specifically are especially beloved by like, the marines and mm -hmm. other like at west point or whatever yeah it's a book that is popular amongst military folks here in the united states at least yeah that's my sense yeah of who loves this text the best in the united states so i guess to add on to that i so i grew up in a household that i think practiced the stoicism i think basically soviet intelligentsia or whatever is probably quite stoic and so I, one thing I'm a little bit secretly anxious about with this reading is that it's all going to feel very obvious to me. 
that I'm interesting. That I'm going to be like, yes, of course you should kiss your children at night and expect them to die. Of course, that's of course that's what you should do. And I'm worried that it's all I've already internalized all of this. It's like one of those things where you read the Quixote and it's the original novel, and you're like, okay, this is of course this is how stories should unfold because everything after it. Because yeah, yeah everything like, after it has been like that. Your life so I'm a little bit worried about that. And I think to add on to your point about the stoicism being more relevant in the military. I think the pattern there is that it's a very effective philosophy for difficult situations. And I think the reason it was so widely adopted in Soviet Russia might have been for that same reason. Yeah. When you live in a life, when in a world where you cannot, where bad things happen to you yeah. and there's nothing you can do about it, yeah. stoicism is a great way to stay happy. Yeah, I say. Interesting. Okay. My initial reaction to what you've just said is that might be the fact that this sort of content of this stoic text might feel obvious to you might create some good tension between the two of us narrators here oh i don't think i grew up with this philosophy in i guess i don't know but yeah my initial reaction to the lecture that i listened to was not oh this is all obvious to me yeah but was very much like whoa this is a philosophy of life that yeah i don't know how much i agree Ooh, with that'll be fun if that's uh, attention so what are you a hedonist I don't Probably. know. I guess I. I think in this, well, the options were skeptic, hedonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, your ancestors and, have and stoic have been round-bellied and happy for and fat for generations on generations. You do not know. I don't know if that's quite <laughs> it either. But let me ask you a couple of questions based on what you just said. So first of all, you say you grew up with exposure to this philosophy. You think to what extent, if at all, was Marcus Aurelius specifically name-checked as a part of that? Not at all. Not at all. Not okay. at all. And then, so how, what led you, you're the one who suggested that we read this text. What led yeah. you in your life to Marcus Aurelius? So I have a history buff theme, I don't know, over the past five years, for whatever reason. I think it's common in tech, unfortunately. So I'm some stereotype of a tech exec who listens to a lot of Roman history. So yeah. I think that was part of it okay. where, yeah, I think a lot of, it's just, the, it's the new hip thing to do, to be a stoic. So. That's probably what led me to it, yeah. Okay, got it. What and is there something specifically as you were listening or reading to these histories yeah. of Rome and so forth that sort of caught your ear about Aurelius specifically? Is there a reason you wanted to dive more deeply on him? I just I actually love the theme that so what basically Marcus Aurelius, Roman Empire, was selected as a child by Trajan, right, to be the next emperor. The guy, he could have been a happy child, right? There, in another alternative parallel universe, he would have been a happy child running around with the other kids. Yeah. But instead, he was, like, guarded and, and at all times, and he wasn't allowed to yeah. interact with anyone. He had intense tutoring, and his whole life was set up to be the emperor. Yeah. And he had to fi finally Trajan died, and then he became emperor. And then there was, like, the Parthians were attacking from one border, and the Germans from the other. And his, so his whole life is just duty yeah. and work. And, and I think he doesn't enjoy it. <laughs> I don't think, I think the yeah. reason he writes the meditations is because he doesn't want that, but it's his job. And I always loved that concept of this really just grumpy emperor who like literally owns the known world. Yeah. Just like, being so sad. Yeah. And I, and for what it's worth, I think there's, I'm no emperor, but there, there are parallels in my life where it's, you yeah. think that you achieve certain things in life and then you'll be happy and yeah. You never are, and things keep getting harder, and it just feels that way. And so I think there's just a lot of, I think there are parallels there. Yeah, totally. Yep. Okay. I think that makes perfect sense as a reason that he is interesting to study today, and that he has a pretty unique life story that that seems 
so full of duty and obligation to others. And I think, not that I know much about this guy, but the thing that that this Michael Segru guy kept emphasizing was the extent to which he understood that duty and wrote about it in his this little book to himself. But also, it only worked because he also really lived this sense of yeah. duty. He was not just speculating about the, no, the yeah. notions of duty and morality and what we owe one another. He really was this guy who then lived that every day of his life in a very philosophically coherent way that I think a lot of people aspire to, but is also pretty, yeah. pretty hard to do. Yeah, yeah. For folks who are like us and don't know much about this, basically he, this is his private journal. He did not intend this to be published. This is his private journal. He goes home, he like goes to his little tents. He spent his entire life basically in a military camp. Yeah. And he would, at the end of that day, he's probably exhausted. He's had a million demands made of him. He goes into his little tent and he put, I don't know, did they have candles? Probably, probably did. He I, lights I his little candle. Candles, yeah. There's okay. a kind of candles that's that are called Roman, Roman candles. candles. Fantastic. Candles. So he lights his little candle yeah. and he's exhausted and it's raining out and the fire is crackling and he writes these meditations and they're basically just reprimands of himself. It's here are the things I should have done better and, and just because otherwise there's no one reprimanding him. There's nothing that really stops him from just going back to Rome. So he needs this like daily ritual to to yeah. just remind him to just give himself a reason to stay here yeah which i think is fascinating yeah it's interesting he, it, it seems yeah, one of the defining sort of parts of his life at least in this chapter where he's the emperor, emperor and so on and so forth is that he has no peers is that he yeah. like there is no one who can give him any kind of honest feedback because he he controls like practically the whole yeah. known world so every interaction is imbalanced and so forth so the, this these writings were very much for him a way of staying sane or s some way of dealing with the fact that he couldn't have any normal human interactions yeah basically yeah and it's the tension between doing what's right and doing what you want yeah yeah okay i'll voice one other thing that i reacted to as i got this initial exposure which is that it is a very kind of somber and loveless philosophy to me. It is a very kind of each person is an island, mm. is here, and is given a sense of morality and then a set of duties, and they are just a machine that performs those duties in a way that is consistent yeah. with that sense of morality, which to me is a very individualistic, very... It does not emphasize the importance much to me of love or the connections between human beings or community other than they exist insofar as we have duties to one another which is yeah. a very kind of negative framing to me of human relationships in a way it's a very much like we all do this only because we owe it to one another yeah. to do it which has a certain appeal as bad i get if you're in the military or whatever yeah. you need to explain why you're doing the thing you're doing that makes sense to me. But my initial reaction is, uh-oh, this guy seems very sad and seems to have a view of life that is very much not about connecting with other human beings. It's just about performing his duties to these other yeah. human beings. I'm excited for that to play out. Yeah, I'll go ahead and state my perspective on what I think about that, which is that I actually, I think it is highly emotional and everything that's being said here yeah. is because you are we humans are such emotional beings we have to set up barriers to prevent ourselves from being hurt yeah but like we're uh, the first chapter we're going to read is going to be him just basically doing a giant gratitude journal 
Yeah. Correct. For all the people, the 17 people in his life or whatever that he's grateful for. That is very personal. He talks about kissing his daughter and expecting, knowing that she might not wake up in the morning. And so it, it's, you're right. Maybe the reason it feels so emotionless is because it's trying to control a world that is otherwise so painful. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. It may be that the sort of things I'm identifying are implicit and under the script on some level. Yeah. Too. It goes without saying that you have these intense connections to people. And so how do you exist in a world with those kinds of connections? Yes. This book is a guide to living like that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So we're going to read the part of his life that's it's 5% of his life. The 95% we don't have access to. We don't know if the moment before he sat down to write that statement about how every morning he wakes up and he expects it to be a terrible day and his friends will betray him. We don't know what happened to him an hour ago. Maybe a friend did betray him, right? Yeah. Maybe he is this hyper-optimist naturally who, if he didn't repeat that to himself, would have woken up and said, okay, you know what? I'm really excited for this yeah. project that I'm launching and all these things and actually, and then things go wrong and then he's extra sad. So yeah. he has to counter, we're reading yeah. the counterbalance. We just don't know what's on the other side of that yeah. scale. That's a funny, a funny idea in a way that imagining Marcus Aurelius as a sort of puppy dog guy who needs to, <laughs> <laughs> is so excited yeah. for life every day, yeah. but constantly gets hurt and has to retreat <laughs> to his tent and teach himself lessons about how yeah. not to get hurt again. But. I think that's my relationship with stoicism. I say, yeah. I think I'm I'm like that. Okay, fascinating. Basically, that... growing up, right? You would I would. This was just the natural reaction. So as a kid, you would be like, oh, I'm I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take this test and I, I'm gonna pass and all these things. And then someone would interrupt me and be like, you, you're you just be prepared, be prepared to not pass. There's a good chance you won't pass, and just make sure that you're like. It's that constant sort of yeah. It's fighting the puppy dog it's instinct. Caution. Yeah, 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 and it's that way if you don't pass, you won't feel so bad. And if you do pass, you'll feel even better. Yeah. It's a win-win. I see. It also strikes me, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but the other thing that struck me about the what I have come to know about stoicism, which again is not much, is that it's a very kind of process-oriented yeah. philosophy that it's very much about just make the right decision at the time. And if that's yeah. true, then oh. nothing can. there's nothing you can... There's nothing else you could have done and therefore yeah. don't worry about if your process is correct yeah. that's all you can control and that's as much as you could ask of yourself that part appeals to me yeah that, that oh, that, i think that, there's so much truth in that, that oh my goodness res that part resonates yeah. with me in my heart i think we all have a yeah a sense of morality or whatever in our hearts and for me that one resonates yeah. completely so, yeah. so that part very much yeah appeals to me from what i've heard so far. but i think we should go into this being ready to become disappointed because yeah. there's a good chance that what he ends up talking about, not that, and far more extreme, far more... Yeah. Uh, my understanding is that meditations are quite <laughs> extreme. Yeah. And uh, I think we're, we are going to read some of those lines and balk at the yeah darkness of them, yeah. frankly. So I, anyway, we'll see, but I'm Yeah, okay. I'm so excited. Maybe that's the opportunity for us to actually start reading this. I guess the couple of little sort of detailed notes, we're going to read the Hayes translation, which seems to be the most popular the most accessible English translation for yeah. first-time readers. And we're going to read it in little chunks on each episode, basically. We're not going to try to cruise through the whole thing too fast. I think a lot of people actually recommend with this particular text, it's almost designed to be digested in small amounts because the meditations themselves are standalone. And reading just a couple a day might be enough for a very sort of reflective experience. Cool. Okay. With that, I think we're going to read... So book one, as Paul mentioned, of meditations is a sort of gratitude 
journal. It's the first listicle that I'm aware of, basically. It's a list of 17 things for which he is expressing some gratitude in, in writing. Okay, so, the, so book one is entitled Debts and Lessons. And it, do, it just starts with a list, so I'm just going to start reading. Number one, my grandfather Virus, character and self-control. Number two, my father, for my own memories and his reputation, integrity and manliness. Three, my mother, her reverence for the divine, her generosity, her inability not only to do wrong, but even to conceive of doing it. And the simple way she lived, not in the least like the rich. Not in the least like the rich. Yes, I'll read that again. Number three, my mother. Her reverence for the divine, her generosity, her inability not only to do wrong, but even to conceive of doing it, and the simple way she lived, not in the least like the rich. Okay, so she was poor. Or at least she lived like a poor what's being said there she not did. in the least like the rich yes she's and sorry but an m dash between those the simple way in which she lived dash not in the least like the rich so i think i see what aurelius is saying is i see that the way she lived is not remotely like the way rich people lived and he admired that she lived a simple sounds like a spartan or austere kind of life i see and may have chosen that that was she had the option to live differently possibly yeah i don't right. actually know anything about aurelius's mother no, but I actually my understanding is that they so they were Spanish. They were Romans of elite status who had ownership of some Spanish property. Spain was a province of the Roman Empire, so they were definitely well off. And to me, this reads a little bit like obviously he might be horrified to know that we're reading his private journal, but he it reads a little bit like he just had a very nice family. Like I I wonder if this is him sugarcoating it in retrospect, or if he actually just loves his grandparents and his parents like this yeah i do so he is being pretty selective in the traits that he is choosing sure. sure. so he it may just be that he is choosing to yeah. write down the positive parts he remembers yeah. and i think it is worth underscoring in point number two he's got this bit about my father parentheses from my own memories and his reputation which maybe suggests uh -oh. that he didn't know his father all that well that's, that's fair that's my recollection yeah. that's my sort of read on what's going on with his father so i think maybe maybe he didn't know his father all that well but he still felt like integrity and manliness were qualities he picked up yeah this sounds like the way i journal do a gratitude journal i just list people and thank them for things yep i agree cool he's got one more family member so number four my great-grandfather to avoid the public schools to hire good private teachers and to accept the resulting costs as money well spent. That's nice. So fascinating that to avoid the public school. <laughs> the, 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 I, wow. I, so interesting. I guess I don't know enough about this. That he it sounds like his great grandfather was the one who bankrolled his private education by tutors, as opposed to yeah. the Roman state or whatever, who yeah. was saying, "Oh, you're going to be the next emperor." Yeah, and that's basically every emperor, and I think just elite in the Roman Empire had private tutors. They were typically Greeks. I think this is where Marcus Aurelius gets the Stoicism philosophy. So I didn't realize that there was an alternative to get a private yeah, school. Yeah, I guess I didn't public even know education. that public schools existed. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, For someone like Marcus, of course he would get a private tutor. Yes. 
and he seems he seems to like the implication of this seems to be that some people in his great grandfather's position would have thought that spending right. money to hire good private teachers for their great grandchild would not have been money well spent. Sure. But in this case, the great grandfather was happy to accept the resulting costs. Huh. So I read that a little differently than you, which is okay. that I don't even in Roman times, I don't know if you would have been contemporary with your great grandfather. It seems that's a long that's yeah. many generations. Right. Uh, so I would I read that as maybe he was the was progenitor of this of this like line that that gained social status over time. And the reason that happened was because the great grandfather uh, invested in a private school for his grant for uh, Marcus's grandfather and so forth. Yes, I see. Okay, so this was more a lesson that he learned from the or yes that they're okay. an investment made over many generations. I see. I see. Oh. Because I do get this. I think Marcus comes from wealth. Like, I don't think it would have been a big deal for him to get private tutoring. Okay. Got it. Okay. Speaking of his education, number five, my first teacher. Not to support this side or that in chariot racing, this fighter or that in the games. To put up with discomfort and not make demands. To do my own work, mind my own business, and wow. have no time for slanderers. Fantastic. That, yeah. Yeah. Stoicism fully formed already in Bergamus's yeah. mind on the first page. I believe his teacher was, oh, we should look this up, but Epicurean? No. Epictetus, Epictetus, right? yeah, that's right. right. Epictetus, yeah. So, who is a Stoic philosopher, so that makes sense. Yeah. So a little context on the chariot races. Again, we're not historians, but yeah. good context. There's basically four teams. Oh, wow. I don't know. The reds, about. the greens, the blues, and the yellows, I believe. Wow. And this is like Sounds insane. Like a board game. It's Yeah. It's, uh, people were really into it. And it continued okay. even after the Roman Empire fell. It continued in Byzantium. Wow. And it was a big deal. And Marcus, like when he was forced onto the throne, he demanded that the Senate also approve his brother, Yes. Who was super into the chariot races and was essentially a degenerate who like loved the green team. I say. And loved the green team and needed updates daily about what was going on with the green team, even when wow. he was on campaign against Parthia. Wow. And so there would imagine that Marcus is writing this in the context of the sort of thinking about- My stupid brother. My stupid brother, yeah. Yeah. What do you make of that last- clause of that last sentence to have no time for slanderers that seems everything else here yeah. seems to be sort of <laughs> stuff that i could imagine saying that we would teach yeah. children here in the united states but then to have no time for slanderers implies that there are people out there slandering you oh, for sure he's like a celeb he's got a that's what's going on here this is essentially him no time for the haters keep yeah. my head down yeah. That's a classic line. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That's how I interpret it. I'll say I recognize something in my own kind of upbringing with the second sentence here, to put up with discomfort and not make demands mm. is a very, I grew up in Minnesota with a sort of combination of Midwestern and like Victorian English kind of family values, yeah. both of which emphasize a lot of grin and bear it and don't be an imposition on others. In my adult life, I've had a, spent a lot of time yeah. questioning the goodness <laughs> of that as a life philosophy, but I definitely recognize some of it in that sentence here with Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, and I can attest to that, that Tom takes that to the extreme <laughs> yeah. and probably too far. For sure, yes. Uh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, so this is like a, Marcus is like a older Tom. Yep. Oh, boy, that's a, I don't know if that's a good thought or a bad thought. Great thought. Okay. Okay. Number six, and now we are going to enter the world of me pronouncing Roman names that I'm just going to be fully speculating on the pronunciation. Excellent. Number six is Diognetus. 
not to waste time on nonsense, not to be taken in by conjurers and hoodoo artists with their talk about incantations and exorcism and all the rest of it. Wow. Not to be obsessed with quail fighting or other crazes like that. <laughs> to hear unwelcome truths. To practice philosophy and to study with Bacchius and then with Tendasis and Marcianus. To write dialogues as a student. Yeah. To choose the Greek lifestyle, the camp bed, and the cloak. Wow. Wow. A lot, a lot going on. That's amazing. On. This is so good. This is like it, much better writing than I was expecting. Maybe some of the credit for that belongs to our there. translator, yeah. Mr. Hayes. But yes, it, yeah, there's a lot going on huh. there. Fascinating <laughs> that there's a danger to Marcus Aurelius of being taken in by conjurers or becoming obsessed with quail fighting or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And so much so that he feels the need to write it down and yeah. say, oh no, thank God somebody, Diognetus taught me not to do those right. things. Quail fighting. Quail fighting. I love that. <laughs> I, I must be now. Just the cock fighting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. What, and I'm going to ask you again what you make of the last sentence. To choose the Greek lifestyle, yeah. the camp bed, and the cloak. So I think those are separate. I don't think those are all one concept. The Greek They're, lifestyle is opposed to the Roman life. Like it's a more cultured. Connected with a dash in this case. To choose the Greek lifestyle, dash. Dash, the camp bed, and the cloak. I, so I read those as being mm. connected. I can understand the camp bed. What do you think he means by that? Do you have any sense of what he well, means? Well, the, the cloak, the emperor's cloak, so the purple. So he, uh, so that means okay. that he, he chose the duty of being an emperor. I see. Okay. So, sorry. Maybe, let's back up. What do you think he means by to choose the Greek lifestyle? So, this part, yeah, just for context to the listener, I don't have I ordered my paperback copy. It's coming in the mail. So, I don't have this text in front of me. So, Tom is the one with the dashes and all that yeah. context. So, the yeah, my understanding of the Greek lifestyle is like the Romans were these militant just like woodheads or whatever and they conquered the, these this incredibly rich and deep culture in in the greek empire yeah and roman aristocracy all basically adopted those philosophies it was a much more yeah so i think everyone all greek aristocracy was or sorry all roman aristocracy was was educated in a more greek cultural context and that, i think that's what he means I see. So to be more philosophical and and artistic, scholarly, scholarly, okay, yep. and yep. not and less militant or whatever else. Yeah, and probably it, this is in contrast to like the Colosseum Games and the gladiators and like th that type of yeah. what would be considered very Roman. Yeah, I see. Okay, number seven, Rusticus. The recognition that I needed to train and discipline my character. Not to be sidetracked by my interest in rhetoric. Not to write mm -hmm. treatises on abstract questions or deliver moralizing little sermons or compose imaginary descriptions of the simple life or the man who lives only for others. To steer clear of oratory, poetry, and belles-lettres. Not to dress up just to stroll around the house or things like that. To write straightforward letters like the one he sent my mother from Sinuessa. And to behave in a conciliatory way when people who have angered or annoyed us want to make up. To read attentively. Not to be satisfied with just getting the gist of it. And not to fall for every smooth talker. And for introducing me to Epictetus' lectures and loaning me his own copy. So these entries are getting longer and detailed, which is interesting, I think, 
too, that yeah. it seems like these people who are not his immediate family, That's right. he has much more detailed things to, to be thankful for. Yeah, and the, it's probably a reflection of how well he knew them. Yeah, yeah. Um, although interestingly, the family ones seem to be very kind of base yeah. traits that he has. He picks up yeah. integrity or whatever else, generosity, those kinds of qualities. I am realizing that it's going to be very valuable to have the text in front of me. What was that bit in the middle about? Sorry, maybe just reread it. Yeah, I'll build it again. Rusticus, number seven. The recognition that I needed to train and discipline my character. Not to be sidetracked by my interest in rhetoric. Okay. Not to write treatises on abstract questions or deliver moralizing wow. little sermons or compose imaginary descriptions of the simple life or the man who lives only for others. That's really interesting. Yeah. It, I, it seems wow. almost anti-philosophical in a way. Right. <laughs> that yeah. This is a treatise on... Maybe he doesn't conceive of it as an abstract question that, yeah, this is a, this Rusticus has taught him not to be too theoretical. Yeah, and not to relish in the theory and, yeah, like his yeah. job is to get out there and do it. Yeah. That is so interesting and it speaks to why this is a private journal. Yeah. Because he is being philosophical in this journal. Yeah. In theory, we'll see. But he wouldn't, he doesn't think his job or his duty is to do that externally. He thinks that's folly. Yeah, exactly. To deliver moralizing little sermons. L to moralizing little sermons. Which to other people is not a good idea, which I think. And not to idealize the simple life. Yes. Which is such a powerful statement. How many times, Tom, do you idealize the simple life? <laughs> the simple life. I think there is a tendency in all of us to do that a little bit, but I think we also know that's simplistic or fanciful or not very appealing. But it's so relevant. Yeah. And I do it all the time. Yeah. What strikes me is that this he's already a guy who is so clearly in control of his own yeah. thoughts. He's very self-aware. So, yeah, so clearly very mindful of what's going on in his own life and what he's learning from everyone. What, I mean, mm -hmm. of course, this is a journal entry, so it's the product of reflection, but... Did he not have anyone to talk to? Like, why... I guess when I have these thoughts, I talk to my wife about them. Did he not... Is that not an option, or is he maybe just a mega introvert? Yeah, it's a great question. So I don't know the answer either. He does have a wife. I she likes seven kids. She probably didn't yeah. have that much time. And, yeah, and I think maybe the sort of standards for that kind of relationship might have been yeah. different back then. And I do think, again, even with her, probably, yeah. Marcus is still just the emperor of Rome. So it may not be. It yeah. wasn't the literal lack also, of that's how lonely he is. Yeah, it's yeah. That when you're the emperor. When you're the emperor, you stare into the abyss of oh. whatever else. Yeah. Oh, I, I pity this guy so much already. Yeah. Poor guy. One thing that's striking me about these journal entries is it seems like Marcus and his philosophy is already very fully formed, even from the jump here. It feels like maybe that's not surprising, but he already has a pretty strong command of what his viewpoint on the world is. It doesn't seem like this text is going to be about him discovering Stoicism yeah. as much as just reflecting upon how to live that way. Yeah. It, consistent with a philosophy that he has already very much formulated in his own mind. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these are, I guess I will say this is a lot of the sort of lessons he's describing here are very recognizable to me as well. Yes, I agree that they're relevant. They're so to relevant. Write, to write straightforward letters, to behave right. in a conciliatory way to people who have angered or annoyed us, annoyed us and yeah. want, to, want to make up, to read attentively. Yes, all of these sound like things we should all we instantly snap to yes of course i would like want to do 
something like that. And none of them are easy things. And this is post, just for, this is post Bible, post Jesus, or I mean, it's yeah, in 300 or something. 200 or 300. Yeah. So this concept is mirrored in religion. It's mirrored in Stoicism. I guess this was, yeah, it, it does. You're right. It seems like he already knows what's right. And this set of private journals is just himself reminding himself every night of what I'm supposed to be doing. And yeah. Yeah. Number eight, Apollonius. Independence and unvarying reliability and to pay attention to nothing, no matter how fleetingly, except the logos. Logos being logic. Yeah. And to be the same in all circumstances. Intense pain, the loss of a child, chronic illness. And to see clearly from his example that a man can show both strength and flexibility. Hmm. His patience in teaching and to have seen someone who clearly viewed his expertise and ability as a teacher as the humblest of virtues. And to have learned how to accept favors from friends without losing your self-respect or appearing ungrateful. Whoa. That was, uh, that's Apollonius. Let's, should we start with the back end there? Sure. To accept favor from friends. Without losing your self-respect or appearing ungrateful. How do you accept a favor and lose self-respect. Oh, that resonates for me completely. I can understand how letting oh. someone do a favor for you might feel uncomfortable for some people. Oh. It can for me for sure. And then the sort of way to deal with that discomfort is a sort of debasement of, oh, thank you for doing it. I'm such a piece of shit. I can't handle this myself. So thank oh. you for doing this thing for me that I'm not equipped to do When does myself. Marcus Aurelius, Emperor of Rome have to feel that way yeah it's an interesting question clearly he observes apollonius doing this i see this is what he's learned from apollonius i see huh yeah that that's an interesting point yes it's very specific i love it <laughs> yeah i do think there's a big profound thing there though about you you can perceive yeah. a favor from a friend as an inadequacy in yourself that someone is helping you cover up or something yeah. like that or as an expression of yeah. connection and love and he's looking at he's learning how to appropriately yeah. handle that situation wow fascinating okay and then okay. the middle section so we've got we've also got this sort of reliability basically to be the same in all circumstances <laughs> so there's an example of where i think modern i don't know philosophy of life is going to differ right the, the i think it's fair to say that in Modern circumstance, you are supposed to feel your emotions. Yes. Like if your child dies, you should cry. You should feel bad about that. You shouldn't be the same in all circumstances. That's interesting. And But Marcus believes that you should be the same. So I read that differently, I guess. I don't read that as don't feel your emotions necessarily. Okay. You can be the same person experiencing different emotions. That is different from, I think he's talking about being fake basically somehow. Mm. That there is something... That this that what Apollonius seems to have taught him is a, a sort of virtue of constancy and dependability to others in the sense that you are always the same around them. You aren't putting on airs. You aren't being somebody who you're not. You are just, you are always Marcus Aurelius. And you got that from the instance of his child dying? or Yeah, yeah let's, maybe I'll just read it again here. Independence and unvarying reliability and to pay attention to nothing no matter how fleetingly except the logos. So that's, that, to your point, does sound like not feeling your emotions. 
and to be the same in all circumstances, intense pain, the loss of a child, chronic illness, and to see clearly from his example that a man can show both strength and flexibility. Yeah, I guess my read is just, yeah, from that second sentence, to be the same in all circumstances. I, yeah, that's a positive way to look at it. Yeah. My child just died, but I'm still going to take court. I'm still going to hold court and yeah. hear other people's problems. And Yeah, and I still just am who I am. This is a thing right. that has happened to me, but I am still Marcus Aurelius. I am not going to become some yeah. new guy because this yeah. has happened yeah. to me. One thing this is reminding me of is in... American and English writing, Rudyard Kipling's writing about like that poem about what it means to be a man it contains a lot of this kind of thing about mm. to walk with kings and peasants and be the same in both of those yeah. situations. And yeah. It's reminding me a bit yep. of that. I guess maybe that's why I'm reading it the way I am. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, that was always something in my childhood that was emphasized is that you should behave the same way around the president and a beggar. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that, Interesting. that seems like it would re have resonated with Aurelius, too. Yeah. Based on this. Okay. Number nine, Sextus. Kindness. An example of fatherly authority in the home. What it means to live as nature requires. Gravity without airs. To show intuitive sympathy for friends. Tolerance to amateurs and sloppy thinkers. His ability to get along with everyone, sharing his company was the highest of compliments and the opportunity and honor for those around him. To investigate and analyze with understanding and logic the principles we ought to live by. Not to display anger or other emotions. To be free of passion and yet full of love. To praise without bombast. To display expertise without pretension. Okay, I'm getting the impression that Marcus Aurelius knew a lot of really amazing guys. Yes. <laughs> Part of the point of this yeah. chapter is look at all these awesome guys I have I have known. And then there's a little bit of an answer to your or like a yeah. response to your question about is this an unfeeling philosophy to show love without passion. Right? Yeah, that, that sentence leapt out to me too, to be free of passion and yet full of love. Wow. What a cool line. Yeah, I agree. That does seem to be yeah, encapsulate his response to this question that we've been asking. Yeah. He does, although the, the sentence that precedes that is not to display anger or other emotion, which I think hints at what you were saying earlier, mm -hmm. too. He is a certain amount of stoicism in the literal sense that we think about it, of being stone-faced and yeah. not showing what you're feeling. That part doesn't resonate as much for me. But to be free of passion and yet full of love. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and back to your point about there just being a lot of cool dudes in his life. Yeah. Who are they? Are these all his tutors? How does he know so many Stoics? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. This is a, probably the first of many instances where a historian could just answer this question yeah, for us. But not us. Right. We're just going to move on from We're that. Move on. These I mean, Open-ended question, yeah, folks. Yeah, knew these guys. Yeah. So I guess the one thing with this guy in particular, which maybe suggests he wasn't a tutor, is this stuff about he's an example of fatherly authority in the home. And it Ooh. seems like a lot of... I read that section as implying that Marcus just was around this guy, maybe in his own home or something like that. Sure. Which maybe could have been a tutor relationship, but maybe Could not. have been a slave. Romans had slaves. Certainly, Romans of his status would have a bunch of slaves. Yeah, although this bit about 
sharing his company was the highest of compliments and the opportunity and honor for those around him. Maybe. Hmm. To show intuitive sympathy for friends and tolerance to amateurs and sloppy thinkers. He's I being, love that, by the way. Still <laughs> <laughs> so the sloppy thinkers. He's certainly building sex this up as a yeah. very yeah, that's true. logical and precise and scholarly type figure to me. Yeah. But who knows? We're not going to answer that question. No. Nope. Okay. Moving on. Number 10. The literary critic Alexander. Not to be constantly correcting people. And in particular, not to jump on them whenever they make an error of usage or a grammatical mistake or mispronounce something. That's a good one for you, Tom. Yeah, this is, this is, I don't like this guy. But just answer their question or add another example or debate the issue itself, parentheses, not their phrasing, or make some other contribution to the discussion and insert the right expression unobtrusively. That's what feels small, very smaller to me than the praise that he's yeah. lavished on the, his other friends. This guy was just a okay. really good job at not being pedantic, basically. So, Mark, you're Marcus, <laughs> is what I'm getting well, out of no, this. Well, I'm Marcus before he writes the meditation. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, because yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm a total... No, but remember, this is the counterweight. So I yes. think Marcus, every time Marcus has someone comes to him yes. and is like, oh, my, my my farm is flooded and the barbarians came and killed my family. He's like, fix your sentence. Yeah, fix your sentence. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you said that wrong. Yeah, the family. I don't the, know. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the current yes. ancient pronunciation would have been. Yeah. Interesting that he gets, I guess I'm just assuming that these people are being presented in roughly chronological order in Aurelius's life, given that we started with his immediate family. They become less important. It's interesting that he got all the way through all these other amazing guys and seems to only now learn yeah. not to be a total jerk about correcting people. And How does one teach you that skill? I guess you just know that he had the instinct but chose not to act on it? How do you... It could be direct instruction, too. He's... Right. Alexander watches Marcus be yeah. a total jerk to someone and be like, hey, you know what? That actually wasn't the best way to handle it. Or what if Alexander was just a jerk and by watching him be a jerk, Marcus was just like, oh, I shouldn't be like that. That's annoying. I don't like being corrected. Yes. That would be an interesting form for gratitude to take. I that would think, be to, so cool. What if <laughs> all, I think there's an angle on this where all these people were jerks. And Marcus just finds, it's a gratitude journal, right? So he just finds the thing that he can... That he, he can appreciate about them. Thank you for teaching me to be emotionless. Or, like yeah. my daughter died and I came to you for, and, and you were completely you were, emotionless. You were, yeah, okay. Thank you for teaching me that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. 11. Fronto. To recognize the malice, cunning, and hypocrisy that power produces and the peculiar ruthlessness often shown by people from, quote, good families. Close quote. This one feels quite different from the ones that precede it. Now, <laughs> this is not about how to live. It's about how to navigate power for, for Marcus. Yeah. The peculiar ruthlessness often shown by people from quote-unquote good family catches the ear a little bit. Did he there. write all of this in one sitting, you think? Or did he come back and continue his list? I would have to imagine that there was he was doing some editing or something. This particular chapter is what I mean. I think yeah. even for a chapter like... Editing? He's writing with a... Like a quail quill. Yeah. I still think it could be. I have no idea. But Who edits their journal? Well, Probably that's Thomas. The, I think a peculiar thing about this guy is right. that this is more than just a simple journal. I yeah, mean, yeah. He is writing. A, it's not just diary, dear diary, here's what I did today. Yeah. Uh, he is writing, and the thing that Michael Seger called it is a book to himself. 
that it's a it is a book, but it's designed mm. for only his own reading, which is a very curious thing. Mm. Who does that? Mm. Write a book to yourself. Yeah. But these are such fully formulated thoughts. They are. Yeah. So full of this obvious a... contemplation that it, yeah. I don't think he just sat down one night at the tent and just dumped this all out. You're right. Mind. It doesn't seem like a stream of consciousness. Doesn't feel like it at all. It's, yeah. This is. It's not that he just that day he had some experience where yeah some good family was ruthless with him and also because probably his relationships with these many people were happened over many years but again an instance where maybe this person was ruthless and came from a good family or maybe they were a teacher we don't know yeah i guess i'm still reading this as the more positive take of these people were actual yeah. it seems likely to me that marcus aurelius would have actually had connections to lots of the best and brightest and most amazing men and women of rome and that they would have been employed to teach him stuff. Interesting. I'll take yeah. the other side of that. Okay. Because, uh, yeah. I think you... bad examples. I think. Yeah, I had that toxic ex, and she taught me to not yeah. take things for granted and to not show too much emotion and not to, to have love but not passion. That's how... That's the ultimate form of stoicism, Tom. Yeah. It's... I appreciate even those who have tried to hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. Turn the other sheet. Yeah, that's that. I think that's totally fair. That's absolutely plausible. I guess I would be shocked if all of these relationships were something like, were like that. Can a single person have seventeen wishers like this? There's a lot of people who are like trying to help him out over the course of his life. Yeah, I think so. He was like groomed to be the emperor. Everyone must have been trying to get favors from him and stab him in the back. I bet. I bet he only probably had maybe nobody who actually was a well wisher. Wow, interesting. Or maybe two people. I think everyone else on that list is complicated. Complicated, true. I think, and I think we were talking about that with the family members too. That he's selective and brief yeah. in his praise of the family members, probably because they were complicated. Yeah. But yeah, maybe this is just our own sort of internal dispositions differing here. But to <laughs> me, it seems very plausible that there were lots of Romans who were. It was an honor for these Romans to be brought into the life of the future emperor. And they wanted, they, in their hearts, they loved the Roman Empire or whatever. Wow. And they wanted to impart good stuff to this guy. And yes, they were, maybe they also had selfish ends, but they, I think it's very possible that there were this many noble Romans who wanted to contribute to the education of the emperor. Wow. The future. Puppy, puppy dog Tom. Yeah, maybe. Cool. Okay. Number 12, Alexander the Platonist. Not to be constantly telling people or writing them that I'm too busy unless I really am. Wow. Similarly, <laughs> not to be always ducking my responsibility to the people around me because of quote-unquote pressing business. Sure. Some of these more specific ones, I think I'm more <laughs> attuned to your theory that they, these were bad people who were annoying to Marcus in his own life and that's how can you have this many people who are close enough to you to notice something about your very private behavior yeah. and then reprimand you about it that's that's a lot yeah okay yeah one thing about this guy is that he, he his title is the platonist is it platon is it a platonist. platonic the platonic yes, relationship yes, that's, that's the root uh -huh. uh, to me that means he's a philosopher maybe I okay yeah you might be right actually maybe he's yeah. listening philosophers I think so these are I his see. And These are his had, books. Poor little yes. Marcus who has no friends. He All he has are Greek philosophers well, that he read. So I actually think it's possible that Alexander is a Roman, but who ascribes to Platonic philosophy sure. and maybe taught Marcus Platonic philosophy or something like that. We'll uh, never know, folks. Yeah, we'll never know. This, in, this information can never be... That's right. Yeah. Okay. 
Number 13, catalyst. Not to shrug off a friend's resentment, even unjustified resentment, but try to put things right. To show your teacher's ungrudging res respect, the Domitius and the Athena Dotus story, in parentheses. Oh boy. And your children unfeigned love. Wow, that first bit sounds like the opposite of, say, bye to the haters, which was earlier. Yeah. He's like, when you have a hater, think about what they hate you for. I think it is important that he uses the word friend. So oh, he says okay. not to shrug off a friend's resentment. Sure. But try to put, and yes, I think we have entered a section of this list where it's getting mysterious. What the <laughs> That's fine. Especially mysterious what these relationships are because it could be that yeah. Catalyst was a friend who he burned by not making things right when Catalyst resented him and now... Absolutely. There's almost no world in which that's... And it's possible he was... It was a more didactic kind of thing where the guy just told him a story or whatever. Yes. To show your teacher's ungrudging respect is also an interesting one. Yeah, that's true, actually. That does bolster your theory of them uh, all being I, teachers. How do you learn that lesson from someone? He could also have been a fellow student or something. Okay. Oh... I don't know. It's hard to parse. Ooh, yeah. He could have been a fellow student who then had a falling out with Marcus, but like Marcus still loves him for these reasons. But also he learned to show your children unfeigned love for oh this goodness. guy. So, what? yeah, okay. Not, maybe more plausible that he was a teacher. The fact that he's got this weird parenthetical, the Domitius and Athena Dotus story, that to me sounds like maybe Catalyst was a teacher who told him some story right. of the importance of teacher showing teachers guy's like the ultimate teacher's pet <laughs> yeah he just loves all of his teachers yeah writes about them at night yeah he is a dork for sure okay number 14 my brother severus to love my family truth and justice it was through him that i encountered thracia helvidius cato dion and brutus and conceived of a society of equal laws governed by equality of status and of speech, and of rulers who respect the liberty of their subjects above all else. And from him as well to be steady and consistent in valuing philosophy. And to help others and be eager to share, not to be a pessimist, and to never doubt your friend's affection for you. And that when people incurred his disapproval, they always knew it. And that his friends never had to speculate about his attitude towards anything. It was always clear. Wait, so this is the fuck-up brother. Severus is the fuck-up brother? I think so. Okay. Again, we're, we'll never know, but let's just assume. Okay. I wonder if we'll, this will get clarified over the course of the coming. No, we but... never retrace. Okay. Yeah. okay. The past is All the right. past. It's moved on. But I think it's the fuck-up brother, okay. which makes this hilarious. He's 17 on the list. <laughs> He's 14. Oh, 14. Okay. okay. Yeah. He's, it's pretty low on the list. And... Oh. Yeah, that's true. Although they seem to be getting mostly longer entries as time goes on here. So I'm not sure that lower on the list is bad. Okay, okay. It does feel like all the things he's grateful to Severus for are stretches <laughs> to me. The bit about introducing me to essentially like democratic philosophy or something like sure. that seems like it was probably pretty important for Marcus. Sure. But like, this, yeah, okay. It does seem like he is hammering this point from many different people about this thing about yeah. being very transparent and consistent in your personality. This is like the third or fourth guy who seems to have taught him that. Really? That's not hard. I read this as this is a guy who just 
wears his heart on his sleeve and says exactly what he thinks, which is the opposite of all the other stuff that Marxist has been praising people for, which is don't show your emotion. So I think he's just trying to, he's just scraping the bottom of the barrel. What do I thank this guy for? I guess he's like an idiot and it shows his emotion and maybe I have something to learn from that moving on. Although he, what about this sentence? To be steady and consistent in valuing philosophy. Yeah, okay. I don't read it quite as I have to. I gotta say something about Severus. Oh shit! Oh shit! I guess he yeah he wears his heart on his sleeve. In part because I mean again this. Have is you a, ever written a gratitude journal? No, never. I feel like you do. That is an experience I've had where I have to, I list all the important people in my life and I'm like ah I gotta put something else here. What else am I? Because yeah. you're essentially that's the exercise is you're forcing yourself. Maybe you're not feeling great that day and you're yeah. just forcing yourself to be grateful and it does yeah. feel like okay you're pulling. Okay. Pulling for strings. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That that could... Sorry, I didn't mean to be condescending be... with the gratitude journal. No, okay. I, okay, maybe it just works on me, what the thing yeah. that he comes up with here. But to me, it does seem... The first part of it is quite different from the thing that he has thanked other people for, this introduction to a society yeah. of equal laws and the importance yeah. of the liberty of your liberty citizens of and all that. That's definitely seems believable. That would be a foundational experience and very something that Marcus would genuinely be grat grateful for okay. if indeed severus is the one who introduced him to those things yeah, yeah yeah very cool i'm gonna go read up on severus after this but i'm not gonna we're not gonna talk about it okay, next great. Episode. it might i suspect if we read hayes's 50 page introduction to the meditations we might learn something about who severus was right as well but you'll never know listener 15 maximus self-control and resistance to distractions optimism in adversity especially illness a personality in balance dignity and grace together doing your job without whining other people's certainty that what he said was what he thought and what he did was done without malice yeah never taken aback or apprehensive neither rash nor hesitant or bewildered or at a loss not obsequious but not aggressive or paranoid either generosity charity honesty the sense he gave of staying on the path rather than being kept on it. That no one could ever have felt patronized by him or in a position to patronize him. A sense of humor. The last one. Yeah, the last one is interesting. <laughs> Sounds like very standard, except for the last bit. This feels like it's all the traits he's picked up on and everybody else yeah. put together in one guy, basically. Yep. I stand out to you. No. There. No. To, to me, the sense he gave of staying on the path rather than being kept on it. Sure. You don't have to do it, but you is it? To. Yeah. The projecting a degree of control or sort of autonomy in, in his own life. That's an interesting one, I think, that we haven't really heard from Marcus before. And in some ways, it almost seems slight. There's a little bit of tension there to me in the sense that my reaction to stoicism sometimes is that it is a bit of a deterministic like yeah, yeah, yeah. we are all just on the ride and just yeah. do our duty yeah. and it sounds like that's at least maximus is creating the sense of no i am mm. the author of my own life and whatever else in a way that we aren't really hearing about these other folks that's fair who marcus is thinking that's fair stoicism is a way to create determinism in a world that otherwise feels random and chaotic so interesting that he's thankful for maximus yeah. Or teaching him to cultivate almost the opposite impression. Staying on the path. Rather than being kept on it. 
Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. The rest seems very much consistent with the things that he is praising the other members of this list for as well. The sense of humor is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and also he's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny and, dude. And to put that last, he's yeah. a funny guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is, right, yeah. It's also a, honorable yeah. and stoic and just funny guy yeah, overall. Good, good bit to put no, sense of humor number fifteen on the list. It really <laughs> implies that the first fourteen people were pretty humorous. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, number sixteen. My adopted father. Compassion. Trajan. Unwavering adherence to decisions once he'd reached. Oh, love that. Disagreeing commit. Indifference to superficial honors, hard work, persistence, listening to anyone who could contribute to the public good, his dogged determination to treat people as they deserved, a sense of when to push and when to back off, putting a stop to the pursuit of boys. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. I think I know what that is, but yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. His altruism, not expecting his friends to keep him entertained at dinner or to travel with him unless they wanted to. Boom. And anyone who had to stay behind to take care of something always found him the same when he returned. His searching questions at meetings, a yeah. kind of single-mindedness almost, never content with first impressions or breaking off the discussion prematurely. Yeah. His constancy to friends, never getting fed up with them or playing favorites self-reliance always and cheerfulness and his advanced planning well in advance and his discreet attention to even minor things his restriction on acclamations and all attempts to flatter him his constant devotion to the empire's needs his stewardship of the treasury his willingness to take responsibility and blame for both his attitude to the gods no superstitiousness and his attitude to men, no demagoguery, no currying favor, no pandering. Always sober, always steady, and never vulgar or a prey to fads. My goodness. The way he handled the material comforts that fortune had supplied him in such abundance, without arrogance and without apology. If they were there, he took advantage of them. If not, he didn't miss them. No one ever called him glib or shameless or pedantic. They saw him for what he was, a man tested by life, accomplished, unswayed by flattery, qualified to govern both himself and them. His respect for people who practiced philosophy, at least those who were sincere about it, but without denigrating the others or listening to them. His ability to feel at ease with people and put them at their ease without being pushy. His willingness to take adequate care of himself, not a hypochondriac or obsessed with his appearance, but not ignoring things either, with the result that he hardly ever needed medical attention or drugs or any sort of salve or ointment. This in particular, his willingness to yield the floor to experts in oratory, law, psychology, whatever, and to support them energetically so that each of them could fulfill his potential. That he respected tradition without needing to constantly congratulate himself for safeguarding our traditional values. Not prone to go off on tangents or pulled in all directions, but sticking with the same old places and the same old things. The way he could have well, the way he could have one of his migraines and then go right back to what he was doing fresh and at the top of his game. 
that he had so few secrets, only state secrets, in fact, and not all that many of those. The way he kept public actions within reasonable bounds, games, building projects, distribu distributions of money, and so on, because he looked to what needed doing and not the credit to be gained from doing it. No bathing at strange hours, no self-indulgent building projects, no concern for food or the cut and color of his clothes or having attractive slaves. The robe from his farm at Lorium, most of the things at Lanuvium, the way he accepted the custom ag customs agent's apology at Tusculum, etc. He never exhibited rudeness, lost control of himself, or turned violent. No one ever saw him sweat. Everything was to be approached logically and with due consideration, in a calm and orderly fashion, but decisively and with no loose ends. You could have said of him, as they say of Socrates, that he knew how to enjoy and abstain from things that most people find it hard to abstain from and all too easy to enjoy. Perseverance, self-control in both areas, the mark of a soul in readiness, indomitable. Parentheses, Maximus's illness. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Trajan is incredible, or at least Marcus thinks so. Yeah. Yep. He really likes Trajan. Yeah. It... I mean, Trajan yeah. sounds great. I want Trajan <laughs> to be our emperor, frankly. Yeah. It's a, obviously that is an extremely yeah lavish description of a what Marcus clearly perceives as a great man I, this one i have read with no i think he actually thinks this about trajan i don't think he's being no. selective with which part he with, with the gratitude here he's certainly writing much longer about trajan than he is about everybody else I, I felt almost like a little tear yeah like I, it was deep marcus believes this yeah and it probably drives him frankly like the reason he's out here in a shitty tent in, in germany is probably because of his deep-founded belief in how great his adopted father was. Yeah, yeah, I think, to your point, I also, just reading that, can, the gratitude is oh. so palpable. Oh. Yeah, but wouldn't it be, wouldn't we all love to feel that kind of gratitude Towards all the someone? time, to have anyone in your life to feel that kind of I don't know if I feel that, that about anyone. Gratitude. Yeah, totally. That is. Everyone is, like, complicated and has yeah. issues. I don't know if I have anyone in my life where I'm like, yeah. Could write. Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah. Maybe he's just writing the, maybe he does know some of the complexity and, and he's just not mentioning it, but boy, it was that powerful. Yeah. And I'm also admiring how Marcus, by being as selective with his praise as he has been for the previous people on the list, the length and yeah. lavishness of this praise hits hard because you're yeah. like, holy shit. Yeah. All you said about your mom was like two things that yeah, she took, yeah. like she, generosity and respect for the divine or whatever and yeah. living simply. And then all that yeah. is, uh, yeah. No more little boys. That was good too. Yeah, some very funny ones too. Yeah, no, don't take attractive slaves. No bathing at strange times. Don't bathe at strange yeah. times, yeah. Some other stuff too that felt relevant today, this bit about his willingness to take adequate care of himself caught, yeah. caught my ear. Yeah. That I think is something that- it's like a Gen Z thing. Yeah, is it feels very relevant in the modern day and I think it's still something a lot of, yeah. on a lot of people's minds, myself included. Yeah. And the bit about to living like Socrates and being capable of both enjoying and abstaining from life's pleasures, basically. I can see why if you're in the military, you like 
bring a copy of the Meditations on Campaign. Listen to this, right? Yeah. This is so inspiring. You read this before bed, you wake up tomorrow, and you're like, I'm going to totally. do my job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. But it's. It, I think I'm struck too, maybe this is obvious given that the title is Meditations, but how much this is a book that we might put in the sort of mindfulness section of the bookstore the mm -hmm. modern era it feels very connected mm -hmm. to the sort of mindfulness and then all the, the sort of attendant religious traditions mm -hmm. uh, clearly this is a guy who spends a ton of time in reflection and gratitude and all sorts of very present and not just attending to all the busyness of being the The last entry in the list. That wasn't the last one. Who's the last one, I wonder? <laughs> it's a big one. Number 17, The Gods. Of course. Yeah. Okay. That I had good grandparents, a good mother and father, a good sister, good teachers, good servants, relatives, friends, almost oh. without exception. And that I never lost control of myself with any of them, although I had it in me to do that, and I might have easily. But thanks to the gods, I was never put in that position, and so escaped the test. That I wasn't raised by my grandfather's girlfriend for longer than I was. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that I didn't lose my virginity too early and didn't enter adulthood until it was time. Put it off. Nice. That I had someone, as a ruler and as a father, who could keep me from being arrogant and make me realize that even at court you can live without a troop of bodyguards and gorgeous clothes, lamps, sculpture, the whole charade. That you can be... Have almost like an ordinary person without seeming slovenly or careless as a ruler or when carrying out official obligations. That I had the kind of brother I did, one whose character challenged me to improve my own, one whose love and affection enriched my life. That my children weren't born stupid or physically deformed. Yeah. That I wasn't more talented in rhetoric or poetry or other areas. If I'd felt that I was making better progress, I might never have given them up. Wow. That I conferred on the people who brought me up the honors they seemed to want early on, instead of putting them off since they were still young with the hope that I would do it later. Hello? Okay. That I knew Apollonius and Rusticus and Maximus. That I was shown clearly and often what it would be like to live as nature requires. The gods did all they could through their gifts, their help, their inspiration to ensure that I could live as nature demands. But if I failed, it's no one's fault but mine because I didn't pay attention to what they told me, to what they taught me practically step by step. That my body has held out, especially considering the life I've led. That I never laid a finger on Benedicta or on Theodotus. And that even later when I was overcome by passion, I recovered from it. That even though I was often upset with Rusticus, I never did anything that I would have regretted later. That even though she died young, at least my mother spent her last years with me. That whenever I felt like helping someone who was short of money or otherwise in need, I never had to be told that I had no resources to do it with. And that I was never put in that position myself of having to take something from someone else. That I have the wife I do, obedient, loving, humble. That my children had competent teachers. 
Remedies granted through dreams, when I was coughing blood, for instance, and having fits of dizziness, and the one at Cayetta. That when I became interested in philosophy, I didn't fall into the hands of charlatans, I didn't get bogged down in writing treatises, or become absorbed by logic chopping, or preoccupations with physics. <laughs> All things for which we need the help and fortune of the gods. Fantastic. Wow. This is so good. What strikes me so much about that one in particular is that he... The stuff he's thinking for the gods for is basically still all about the relationships in his life and not that's right this guy's not religious at all the circ yeah the circumstances of being emperor or the afterlife or whatever totally. like the, the, yeah the beauty of the of the, life, world. Of the world yeah or totally. it's, it's all just putting me in a position to have good relationships in my life it's so, just the catch-all for more gratitude yeah basically that that it just means the sort of circumstances of his relationships. I think it does actually, circling back to the conversation we had before we started reading, that surprised maybe how relationship-minded this whole thing was. That yeah. obviously a gratitude journalism is in part about his relationships with the various people being listed, but also the things he seems to be grateful for have to do with the lessons he's learned about how to relate to other people so mm -hmm. frequently here. So I think this allays some of my concern that this is just a book for like military guys to like put your head down and do your duty. It's not, it's about that, but it's a lot about a lot more than that. It is really about yeah. relationships and how to live with them, which makes me much more interested in reading yeah. the rest of it than it, than I would be if it just felt isolated. Me too. I'm shocked off my stool at how relevant this feels and how yeah. this is a fantastic translation, obviously, but it's, uh, it reads so modern. Yeah. I would maybe have substituted the word fortune or luck or something instead of God. But other than that. Yeah. I think you. I and think the it, little boys. But like everything yeah. else seems very reasonable. Yeah. I agree. I think that's probably a credit to the translator. The brief readings I did with the other translations sure. did feel considerably more. But it's the concept of it. Yeah. 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 And the prose is, it kicks ass, I think. Like, yeah. I want to hear more of what this guy is saying. It doesn't feel obvious, but it also, it sound it's the quality of good writing that it's resonant and an idea that you've had but never quite put into words i think it, for me it checks that box yeah and the fact that he ended with god in his private journal yeah strikes me as as funny because i think if i was writing this private journal i would have stopped at the last person yeah so maybe he this is god actually does like that is he is religious enough to feel like he, the list has to include god yeah, that's interesting i read it more as not necessarily that he feels like he's doing this out of some sort of re religious obligation because, oh, if I haven't thanked God, then I've been bad. But more that he is distinguishing between what the people in his life have actively taught him through their actions versus the things that just he learned that happened through circumstance, basically. And so some of this is just, yeah, that people weren't stupid or that I was able to control myself. He's doing an interesting blend of... I am in control of myself, but then sometimes when things go well, it's really just because the gods put me in a situation to do well. Oh, yeah. I think the role of luck is super important in Stoicism. The yeah. whole point of Stoicism is that you can't control most things, control what you can't control. So that doesn't seem like a I, contradiction at all. Then. I guess I hear what you're saying, yeah. But he does have some moments here about, he says, sorry, something about, when I did screw up, it was all my fault, basically. 
as opposed to anybody else. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yes, he says. Oh, I see. That, which is very deterministic. Which if I, like, yes. Yeah. The gods did all they could through their gifts, their help, their inspiration to ensure that I could live as nature demands. And if I failed, it's no one's fault but mine because I didn't pay attention to what they told me, to what they taught me practically step by step. That, oh, oh that you're hit, right. That hits my ear a little you're bit. Right. Like, oh, wait. Does that wow, that's like... putting so much pressure on yourself. That's like yes. the opposite of what, how I internalize what I think of stoicism. Huh. So maybe the way I can reconcile that a little bit is the idea that it seems like the only way you could fail with stoicism is a failure of process to have... Fail yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. Failed yourself. And in that case, it is no one's fault but your own because you had the option to live consistently with your duties and obligations or whatever. And, yeah. And you haven't done that. And I guess to be fair, I think... You're right. Yeah, like external things that happen, like your kid dying, yeah. is never your fault. So not, it's not even worth mentioning that. There's no point in discussing that because yeah. you did your job, and that's all that matters. Yeah. What do you make of this phrase? And maybe this is just antiquity or whatever. But to live as nature requires. Yeah. He raises that several times. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think the word nature is going to keep coming up. And I believe yeah. that it's being used in the context of like you were born into this position and it's almost the nature of my privilege, the nature of my position and not like nature is in like I'm an animal. Okay. That's what I, what do you, does that? Yeah, I think I, that seems like a sort of peculiarity of translation that I was scratching my head at a little bit, but I think that is consistent with, to me, Fantastic. Cool. Any closing thoughts on the first book of meditations here? No, I'm looking forward to having done more research for the next episode. Yeah. I think we will start with here's what we learned. Yeah. So maybe we read the, the we'll, introduction. We'll read the introduction. Yeah. Here. And I'll probably reread this chapter maybe once or twice just to like really internalize it and then we'll keep going. Yeah. Okay. So the spoiler for next episode is that book two is entitled On the River Grand Among the Quadi. 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 Q U A D I. I think that's modern day Germany. Okay. So we are going to, rather than having a sort of gratitude journal style entry, yeah. this sounds like it will be a more traditional journal entry, I guess. Fantastic. Thank you, Tom. Cool. Thanks. See ya. Bye.